only source of true delight whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my pleading It's good to be uh, back with you again this week. And um, we're going to continue in this little mini-series, kind of the questions that God asks us. And we said last week as we started out of Job that... We have a lot of questions uh, that we ask God, and they're great questions. And He doesn't begrudge those questions or disdain them. He doesn't shame us in them. He welcomes the questions that we really have for us, but uh, we said that He has some questions for us. And last week we looked at this idea of God asking the question of who we think is really wise, and this week we're going a slightly different direction, and we're going to look at the very beginning portion of the Bible in Genesis 3, which is well-trod territory, especially if you've uh, been sitting in my Sunday school class the last couple of years. But we're going to go back there uh, for just a moment. Before we do, you know, if you want to look, it's on page 2 of the Blue Bible. That's where we're going to turn in a minute. But let me set this up for a moment in terms of the question that we're going to look at today that God asks. When I was a kid, my favorite cookie, that's changed now, I'm a Thin Mint guy, but when I was a kid... Pepperidge Farm had these cookies called pirouettes. They still make them, I believe. They come in that metal tin. And um, some genius in the cookie industry decided that they were going to put chocolate in them, which was one of the greatest moves ever. And I remember uh, one day when the rest of my family was away. I think my mom was probably around. She didn't leave me alone. But I found the tin of pirouettes. And um, I had this little conversation with myself, as you do at that point. And I thought, yeah, let's go for it. So I <laughs> unwrapped the cellophane and popped the top. And that aroma of all that fresh pirouetteness came wafting up out of the can. And I went to town. And I mean, I just <laughs> ate them all. Yeah, I didn't eat them all, but I ate a bunch of cookies. And... That sugar rush started to flow through my veins. I forgot about the evidence and just went spinning off at like high speed to go play around the house. And um, I remember hearing the voice of my mother from the kitchen a little while later going, um, Hey, Keith, can you come here? And I totally boop, forgot. So I like bounced into the kitchen and my mom kind of was standing in front of the, the cookie tin and she goes, Um... Have you eaten anything? And I was like, oh, nope. And it's at this moment where you just love it because chocolate crumbly goodness is smeared on my face, right? And my mom just very gently reaches out and smudges this, you know, pirouette goodness off my face and kind of puts it right in front of my eyes and goes, hey, I'm going to ask you a question again. Okay, there's a crystallizing moment, right? Because when the question comes out again at that moment, Hey, Keith, have you eaten anything? It's like the 
spotlight is there and the truth is before your eyes and there's really nothing you can do but go, uh, so that's what reality looks like. And the thing I'm going to talk about with us this morning is this idea that God is going to ask us this question again and again and again of kind of, hey, where are you in regard to me? And He's going to kind of bring some things up in front of our face. And we're going to look at it from Genesis 3 in terms of the original fall with Adam and Eve in the garden. So turn there. And we're going to start actually in chapter 2 because it's important the way God phrases it. So 2, verse 15, and then we're going to jump down to 3. 15 through 17 and then down to 3. This is God's good, kind word to you and I this morning. As God poses a question to Adam, and I would say consequently to you and I this morning, through His Word, okay? The Lord God took the man, He put him in the Garden of Eden to work and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And let's pray and ask the Lord to bless His word in our time. Father, be gracious to us this morning. You are God and we are your people. And so ask away for our benefit. Because we do ask actually humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. So normally when Genesis 3 is preached, it is this picture that is talked about of Adam as the federal head of mankind that falls into sin. It's normally, it is preached, and this is still true, right, of kind of the historic man. Adam and his breaking God's law and sin coming into the world and the consequences of that and the curse that follows and the setup for the redemption that comes through Jesus. That is true. 
But what we're going to look at this morning really is more the questions that God asks after the fall. Because they're really good questions. They are the questions in some sense in finer form that my mom was asking. And I'm saying to you, look, my mom was asking this overarching question of, hey, Keith, where are you in relation to me and me being your parent? Where are you? The big overarching question that God asks to Adam and Eve in the garden and ostensibly to you and I this morning is, hey, where are you? And I would say like last week that the questions that God asks are both challenges, but they're also invitations. And there are three questions that I think he asks along the vein of where are you this morning? They're the question of why you're hiding. Secondly, they're the question of what do you think reality is? And thirdly, they're the question of do you know that you are actually in rebellion? Now listen, they are both challenges to you and I, but they are invitations. Okay? So first, I want you to see this question of God coming to Adam and Eve. And it's this question of why are you hiding? That's the idea of where are you? Look, this is what happens. God commands Adam in the garden, right? And you're mostly familiar with this. He takes him and puts him in the garden and says, all of this is yours. It is all for you. But of this tree, don't eat. And then there's that interchange between Satan who co-ops the form of a serpent. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not sure what to make of the Bible and God kind of in His Word showing you that Satan, who we believe is a real, personable being, taking the form of a Satan, don't let that derail the entire thing. I would love to have a conversation with you about how that's possible. But Satan takes the form of a certain and he convinces them and tells them that they won't really die if they eat it, that God really is just out to limit their freedom, and really what he wants to keep from them is higher glory and higher honor. And if they would just listen to him and take wisdom in their cues from him, they would be more glorious and more honorable and more beautiful and more wise. And so they take and eat it. And the consequences of what happens when they eat it are fairly clear. It says that they recognize they're naked. And they run and they start hiding. And God comes to them in the middle of the, of the garden and He asks this question, not because God like is senile and can't find them. It's not as if God has lost His creation somewhere amidst the garden and kind of, you know, needs a pager. Right? The question is not for God's benefit. It's for theirs. Where are you? And the reason God says this thing is where are you is because He's trying to kind of smudge off the chocolatey of their face and say, Adam, Eve, why are you hiding from me? Because if you actually look at the text, what God says is, is, this is beautiful. From the God who sees all, they tried to go and hide in His creation, the stuff He created. They tried to kind of go hide among the trees. I mean, isn't that a great image like, Eve, stand still. Maybe He won't notice. Right? <laughs> Blend in with the trees. And here comes the voice of a pursuing God, Adam, Eve. Where are you? Why are you hiding from me? And listen, part of the grace of the question comes in this. Do you understand that the first question God asks is the one of reference to relational nearness to Him? Why are you hiding from me? Why are you hiding from the God who has made you? 
Why are you hiding from the God who has loved you and given you all? Why are you hiding from the One who has given you all your beauty and all your warmth and all of your intelligence, who has made you so wonderfully and has provided for you so richly? Adam, Eve, in your sin, why are you hiding? And what he's doing is he's trying to kind of bring to our mind in a pursuing question this thing of self-awareness. Now, I would look at you and say there's also grace. He didn't have to say anything to him at all. He could have simply banished them from the garden. But here is the methodology of God. Here is the heart of God pursuing His people. And the reason why I would bring to you that this is a question that comes to us again is because this is the way God works with His people when they decide to take wisdom into their own hands and go their own way. And look, it may not be, right? It's not an, an articulated vocal question that you hear with a real voice like Adam and Eve did in the garden. But the question comes to you and I who are familiar with the Word of God. And even if you're not necessarily familiar with the Word of God, God has imprinted you with this thing called a conscience which speaks to you. And the question comes out, hey... Where are you? Through the kindness of the conscience and the Holy Spirit working on you, God continues to ask His people this morning, Hey, where are you? Through the loving graciousness of other Christians who come because they do love you, like moms and dads and brothers and sisters and friends who come and say, Hey, where are you? God pursues you again and again and again. Why? Because, guys, this is our tendency. It's to run and hide in our sin. That's, that's our tendency. We want to hide. There are a million ways we hide. Some, let me throw out some of the ways we hide and why we need God to pursue us with this question that will bring us back to kind of a sense of where we are. We can hide by ignoring our sin. You know, the metaphorical stick your fingers in your ear and go, la, 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 la. I'm not looking that I mean to my wife, la, la. I'm just not looking. I'm not listening. I won't acknowledge it. I know she's crying in the other room. La, 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 la. I'm not listening. Or we might ignore it by trying to just get busy. I'm going to go clean the garage. Uh, we can ignore it. By entertaining ourselves. Man, one of the best ways that I can ignore my heart is by God's gracious gift of ESPN. Click! I wonder what the Rangers did today. Maybe that's not your kind of choice. Maybe it's baking. Maybe it's cleaning. Maybe it's golfing. I said it. Maybe it's, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's woodworking. Maybe it's reading. Maybe it's going to work. We'll hide at times by comparing ourselves and our sin to other people. I mean, look, I mean, gosh, I can be sarcastic, but I'm not Jerry Bowles, who's not sarcastic at all, really. But you know what I mean? Like that comparison thing of like, man, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I'm not as quick-witted and tongued as so-and-so. We hide in a million ways and God is gracious and comes just like He did to Adam and Eve. And He says, hey, where are you? 
And God in His mercy wants you and I to see that we hide from Him when we sin. And the interesting thing is, He asks it to both of them, not just as a reference to the way we hide from God, but God asks it because Adam and Eve are hiding from one another. In their nakedness and shame from one another, they sow fig leaves on each other and they hide from one another in their alienation by kind of pointing at one another and their relational union is broken. And one of the ways that God asks you and I, and one of the reasons He asks you and I about our sin is because He just not He doesn't just want you and I to see the way our rebellion has kind of separated us in our relationship with God. He wants to bring up the fact that it has broken our way with one another. We hide from one another all the time as well, right? So the first question that God asks you and I all the time, just like He did Adam and Eve, is, hey, why are you hiding? But He turns, and the, the, the second question He asks is one that I've kind of skipped over, I think, a bunch. But the, the second question, the first question is, why are you hiding? The second question is one of this, and that is, do you know where truth lies? Because it's interesting, if you go down... Kind of he looks at Adam and Eve in verse 11 and he says this strange thing. Who told you that you were naked? And what I kind of want you to see is that God is asking that as a clarifying question to where truth lies. This is what I mean. It's a question of orientation to two different voices. Because what God said was this. And I'm going to borrow this phrasing of glory and honor from a friend of mine who's a campus minister by the name of Sean Slate, but it was really effective. When God made Adam, He put him in the garden and He bestowed him with glory and honor because he was made in the image of God, right? And so Adam and Eve were as glorious as they were going to be the way God made them. They were really glorious and really beautiful and really honorable. And what God said was, listen... If you will go my way and listen to my voice, because my voice is true, you will retain honor and beauty and glory. You'll be beautiful. And Satan comes in and twists that line and speaks a different voice and tries to say, no, 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 that's not true. You won't be beautiful if you submit. He's keeping beauty from you. If you will just take of the tree of the knowledge, if you'll just eat, if you'll just rebel, if you'll just do this thing, you'll actually be more glorious. You'll be like God. And instead of being like God, what they get is brokenness and nakedness and shamefulness. Now look, it's not that the human body in and of itself is shameful. That's not it. It's that when they sin... They're not more glorious. They're broken. They're ruined. And that ruined nature comes out and they're aware of it. And that's the sadness of it. And in the middle of their ruined selves and nature and in the ugliness of their kind of rebellion and in the sadness of all of it, they see it for what it is and they're ashamed. And God, when He looks and asks this good question... When he looks at Adam and Eve and says, who told you that you were naked? What he's doing is he's asking an orienting question. Hey, whose voice are you listening to? Which one is really true? Because the reason you feel ashamed in your sin is this. 
It's because the way I worked the world is really the way that it is. And it really is beautiful. I told you. I told you that when you deter from my good and kind will, I told you, Adam and Eve, that if you will go the way, it will be glorious and beautiful. But if you go a different way, it will be ruinous and rotten and sad and broken and shameful. So when he looks at Adam and Eve and says, who told you that you were naked? He's bringing up to their face the reality of the shamefulness of sin. He's looking at them and saying, guys, my way really is the right way. Look, let me give you an example. When I was in middle school, I had a middle school principal by the name of Mr. O'Brien. His son Chris was in my grade. And I lived in southeast Pennsylvania. We got a lot of snow. One of the things we loved to do was called skitching. And um, when it snowed, you, you would take the cafeteria trays from the school. And you would go and you would find a big hill and you'd slide down the hill on the cafeteria trays because they were awesome. The problem is at the middle school, the best hill was on the driveway on the macadam. And there was one snow where we were too eager and we kind of were taking cafeteria trays and for some reason Mr. Brian just let us do it. But he walked out and saw a group of us about ready to go and do it. He knew that it had not snowed enough. And what he said was, hey y'all, I don't think I would do that. Do you think there's really enough snow? He knew there wasn't. And we're, and so here's that one question, right? He's trying to orient us to the fact. He was 40 at that point. He knew. He'd seen kids skits for a long time. But I just remember my friend, the ringleader, going, he doesn't know what he's talking about. There's more than enough snow. Let's go do it. Right? Take that cafeteria tray, throw it down, jump on it. It went about half an inch, caught the macadam, bam! Kind of sit up, dazed, bruised, scratches everywhere. And all I remember Mr. O'Brien doing this beautiful thing, he's like, hey, y'all, you think there's enough snow? Hey, Adam, who told you that you were naked? Hey, guys, whose voice will you listen to? What God is trying to do is orient us to the fact that Satan... That sin is always trying to sell you a bill of goods. Right? He asks the question because sin will not be honest. It will not tell you the truth. It will not tell you the downside. It will whisper empty promises and never give you the consequences rightly. And the reality is, is that this is the nature of our heart at times. We tend to minimize the effects of sin. We tend to talk ourselves out of the consequences and problems of it. We tend to talk up the perceived benefits and to downplay the collateral damage that happens in it. We try to talk ourselves out of the shamefulness of the reality. That's the subtle lie. Look, guys, don't you know, take yourself back to middle school. I think middle school was kind of some of the best fodder for examples of life. Take yourself back to the playground. Take yourself, well, maybe you don't go to the playground anymore. We kind of, I think we did. We had some free time. Take yourself out kind of back to that stage where kind of the, the, the kid who's just the easy target to be made fun of is, and somebody's just saying, go do it, go do it. There's a great, they kind of lob up that juicy moment just to totally fillet some kid, right? And somebody's saying, go do it, go do it. And you think, yeah, this is awesome. And you just kind of lay that beautiful, well-timed comment that just 
crushes the soul of the kid. And as you walk away, you see the kid kind of that quivering lip and the tears about to fall, but he's kind of so ashamed, he doesn't want to double the pain. And so he kind of walks around the corner. And this is what you're left with. You have been told, what a great opportunity. You'll be king. You'll be king of the playground. And instead, what you're left with is this kind of loneliness as you look and go, wow, really all I have is that I'm mean. And you can kind of see the look on the faces of other kids, can't you? Who have kind of seen you and at one moment wanted to be with you, but were so afraid of the reality of the shamefulness of the way you can speak to people that they almost visibly kind of back up for a moment. And God is gracious enough in the moment of our sin to look at us and say, Hey, who told you that you were naked? And the reason I'm asking the question is this. I want you to see that sin, though it always lies to you, is not telling you the truth. It doesn't end in more beauty for you. It doesn't end in more glory for you. It does not end in more honor for you. It never does. It only ends in brokenness and nakedness and shamefulness and alienation. That's what it does. And God's kind enough to press in the question. And the third question is kind of the kicker question. Because he's gone from this kind of relational thing of why are you hiding to the second thing of which reality you will listen to and he ends it up with kind of the home run ball of have you broken my authority? He just sends it right to the heart, right? Look at verse 11 again. After he says, who told you that we're naked? God comes to Adam and Eve and he looks and says, straight out, have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? If you could hide from the other ones, there ain't no, I know that's in proper English, there's no hiding from that question, right? And, and Adam fumbles and talks about the woman and it's her fault. And then he goes straight to the woman and he asks the same question in a different form, but it's just as straightforward. Hey, Keith, have you had anything to eat, Eve? What is this that you have done? And there is a challenge from God to them. And there's a challenge from God to us. It is this question of authority. It is the question that God is asking to bring to the forefront the real guilt and culpability that we have in our sin against Him. It is the direct question that God brings to us about the personal nature of sin. See, this is our thing. We tend to think that breaking the law of God is just breaking some arbitrary rule that is unseparated from a king, a personal being, who has given it. And so God comes to Adam and Eve and to you and I in the midst of our sin and says, have you done what I have told you you should not do? Look, don't kid yourself. You listen to an authoritative voice. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, you do. You have a controlling authority that you submit your heart to. It may be yourself. It may be your wisdom. It may be something. But you listen to a voice. And that voice always comes back to question. Always. No matter what God, small g, you will bow down to, it always has a voice that will speak authoritatively into your world. It does. The God of the Bible comes and says, What is this that you have done? 
And we didn't read it. But God knows that the state that they are in is a state that He cannot let them continue in. That the brokenness and shamefulness is not something that He can let go on forever. So He banished them from the garden. And yet before He does, if you read the end of chapter 3, God closed them with a covering that is better than the covering that Adam and Eve tried to clothe themselves with. Because Adam and Eve in their hiding, they take leaves off a tree and sew them together and try to cover themselves that in an hour or two will be dry and wilted or a day or whatever and kind of... They're going to have to reach for more fig leaves to cover themselves. The way human beings try to cover themselves will never adequately do it. And God covers them with skins of animals and He is pointing to a better covering. Now here's this thing. Why does God ask the questions? Does God just want to shame us? See, what I said to you was that the question is both a challenge and it's an invitation. The reason God continues to pursue you and me as His people whom He loves with questions is because He's trying to reorient you and I to who we really are in our brokenness. So that He might point us to Himself. Let me see if I can't do it like this. Um, it was, gosh, it was seven, eight years. I can't remember the year. But I remember watching Phil Mickelson when he was younger and... Um, and I just, it was, I can't even remember which tournament it was, but it's on TV and he hits, as Phil is wont to do, this crazy drive, right? It's going out of bounds. You see people watching it and you hear people kind of, you can see it on TV, people calling. And everybody kind of scrambles except for this one like 12 year old kid. And the ball, like he's kind of not really paying attention, the ball just goes bam, clong, you know. And you can kind of see a couple people like, what a, what a dummy. And the kid at this point is embarrassed, right? I mean, he just got knocked on the head. Everybody else was trying to tell him. He just missed the cue. And Phil kind of walks up to him and he's in the middle of a game. And rather than spend time, he looks at the kid and he says, hey, do me a favor. Did, was, were you the one I hit? Which kind of, again, asks that question, puts it right out in front of the kid. And the kid, you can see he's like, yes, sir. And Phil leans over to him and says, hey, meet me at the 18th. So the kid's like, Phil Mickelson just told me to meet him at the 18th green. And so he follows him and and meets him there. And at the end, Phil walks off. And as he walks off, he's looking for the kid. And the kid is there. He walks up to the kid and he says, hey, man, come here. Gives him a hug, signs his glove, hands him a glove, hands him a ball and a tee. Now, to this 12-year-old kid, what Phil Mickelson has just done has handed him the treasures of of life. Like that is the greatest thing. And God, in His mercy, will pursue you with the questions and say, where are you? What have you done? Have you done what I asked you not to do? So that He might meet you at the 18th green and hand you the treasures of life which are found in the mercy of Jesus whom He crucified on your behalf. We read it this morning. Why does God pursue you with questions? Not so that He can shame you. 
He pursues you and I. He exposes you and I. He brings the truthfulness of our rebellion and our wanton ways before Him. He shows it up not so that He can shame you, so that He can point you to the storehouse of mercy that He has for you in Jesus. Because though every other God you follow will never speak a word of benediction to you, Jesus will. He will cover your shame. He will forgive your sin. He will speak a word of peace to you that nothing else can. This is interesting. You and I are scared to death of that voice. And you know why we're scared. I think we're scared for God to question us. Because there's no one else that deals with us as consistently as God does in that. Why am I scared at times for that question to come forth? Tell you why I'm scared. Because I'm not a good father the way I should be. And I ask my kids questions with terrible motives all the time to shame them. And I'm afraid that God is going to deal with me the way I deal with my kids at times. And it may not be you and your kids' relationship that I'm speaking about, but the reason why we are nervous at times for God to come pursuing us with honest questions is because we think God is like everybody else we deal with. And y'all, He's not. How deep the Father's love for us. How great beyond all measure that He would send His only Son that He might make a wretch's treasure. Y'all, God pursues you and I this morning and this afternoon and tonight when you're going to bed and arguing about why she left the cap off the toothpaste and tomorrow morning when she didn't make the coffee well enough or you forgot to take out the trash and you're bickering or when you deal with your children or the way you deal with your office mates, God is going to come and pursue you that He might show you what it is really like, that He might point you to Christ. And in pointing you to Christ, that He might restore you to a sense of sanity, that He might point you to the glory and goodness of His ways. Man, I love pirouettes. Where are you? Whose truth are you listening to? Have you done what I asked that you ought not? Flee to Christ and find the storehouse of His mercy. And in the storehouse of His mercy be revived to follow after Him in all His good ways. Let's pray. Father, be gracious to pursue us, Your people. Be gracious to pursue those who are not Your people this morning. That You might show them the wisdom of the grace of Christ. It is good. You are a God who pursues well. You pursue out of love. You pursue out of deep mercy. Because Your ways are good. Lord, help us to be those who do not fly by the fountain of the blood of Jesus. Help us to be those who respond in humility to the question You ask and fly to Christ and repent and taste of Your goodness. And in tasting of Your goodness, O Lord, 
be enabled to walk in obedience and newness and freeness of life because Your ways are good and Your paths are glorious and honorable and good for our heart and soul. God, ask away. Pursue us. And be gracious to give us Christ, we ask in His name. A pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain. Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away?